just last year, a paper was published in Nature that was uh, uh, led by researchers and medical experts at uh, Stanford University. And they've worked with uh, spinal cord injury patients as well as a patient with uh, ALS who had lost the ability to effectively communicate. Mm -hmm. And using a Utah array uh, and a combination of our hardware software and their algorithms and research, uh, they're able to actually follow the intent to move your fingers mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and think about handwriting mm-hmm. and translate that directly to text on the screen. So literally thought to text by just thinking about handwriting. Mm-hmm. And again, it has that intuitive piece that I think tells you it's going in the right direction. That level of precision of being able to follow your intent to move your fingertips Mm-hmm. And it have so much resolution in that data that you can translate that at 150 characters per minute on the screen, which is about as fast as you can type on your phone. And that is a, a kind of resolution that is really distinct to the Utah array and the high channel count in patients we have between four and 600 channels of data coming in. Uh, but at that high level of density and resolution and the high bandwidth that we get out of that is mm-hmm. really distinct to the Utah array and will be very different from the types of electrodes that Neuralink is developing. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. What are the current topics? They talk, we listen. <laughs> Can you imagine getting into a business or a market where you actually spend a hundred billion plus on a piece of paper? Are you kidding me? It was like a frying pan of the head. I got nothing against CFOs. It was not just the job of a lifetime, it was the job of a thousand lifetimes. My guest today is a computer scientist, electrical engineer, roboticist, and an executive C-suite in one of the leading neurotech companies in the world. We continue our series on Heads Talk today with a conversation about the merits of brain-computer interface technology and how my guest organization has developed the most advanced BCI used today. In fact, their mission is clear, to help people with paralysis and other neurological disorders walk, talk, see, hear, and feel again. But before we get into that, here's a brief message. U.S. Private Capital Forum Go Real 2023 launched now until the end of March, with on-demand sessions offering attendees the utmost flexibility to access industry-specific content and deals on their terms. It will bring together over 100 speakers from across Europe, over a broad agenda covering private equity, venture capital, real estate, and private debt. For details, visit www.eurosforum.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle-Schwitter. Jeff Jensen is part of the executive management team and is the chief technology officer at BlackRock Neurotech. Jeff has more than two decades in hardware and software engineering and product development. Prior to this, he served as the vice president of engineering at Creator, where he led research and development prototyping and operations of Creator's innovative robotic kitchens. Jeff experience spanned brain-computer interfaces, mobile robotics platform, system design tools for heterogeneous um, distribution control systems, enterprise software and scientific publishing, and research in design methodology 
for Cyber Physical Systems. Academically, Jeff has a bachelor's and master's in electrical engineering and computer science from the University of California, Berkeley. So let's start. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Jeff to the Neurotech series on Headstalk. Delighted to have you here today. Thanks for having me, Elaine. Excellent. Okay, um, I'd like to kickstart in a familiar way with you providing my listeners um, that don't already know about your organization with an introduction to BlackRock Neurotech and a summary of your role within the company. So BlackRock Neurotech is one of the leaders in brain-computer interfaces, having been established in the industry for uh, nearly 20 years. Mm -hmm. uh, coming back to our co-founder, Florian Solzbacher, who is a, the chair of electrical engineering at the University of Utah, He's had the distinct um, and amazing thing to know that this was his passion project from the age of 16, when he worked in new people with disabilities and just thought to himself, why are we not directly connecting uh, brains to people's mm. extremities? And this has been his passion since then. And over that arcing career of his, it led to uh, his engagement with the University of Utah, uh, where the Utah Array are leading brain-computer interface mm. electrode was developed and uh, has since been uh, uh, worked into what we're building in our overall system, which includes the brain electrodes, the uh, electronics that interface with them, and the software that brings in the real-world front-end applications. Mm -hmm. uh, so together with uh, CEO uh, Marcus, uh, Marcus Gerhardt, we've uh, been working very hard to now bring these out of the research space and into the commercial and directly to in-home patient applications. All right. Okay. And um, you want to add in? And my role uh, as chief technology officer is to help coordinate across all of the different disciplines of engineering. Okay. That's good. That's succinct. Thank you for that. Um, I, I mentioned in the introduction, one of BlackRock's mission statements, and you just talked about it as well in the fact that, you know, to help people with neurological disorders walk, talk, see, hear, and feel again. Let's talk more about um, brain-computer interface technology and how BlackRock is advancing the development of um, BCIs such that they can lay claim to 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 having um, the most advanced BCIs used today. But let's go back. Let's first tell me, my listeners, the story of BCI. Um, when did this all start? Um, what is it used for and how does it work? Then we can go deeper into BlackRock's work in this area. I think there's a deep and very rich history in overall our wanting to understand and better interface with the brain. Uh, and myself not being a neuroscientist, I think I would leave it to, to those experts to really speak to uh, much of the, the work that led to where we are today. Mm -hmm. As far as the brain-computer interfaces that we're working with in our uh, the predominantly used brain-computer interface uh, in the research context around the world, especially for those that are used in human, uh, in, in our case, it was the motivating drivers were to really better interpret human thought so that we could add capability, uh, that we could help try to address the neurological disorders and disabilities that people were experiencing. And so it's, it's a long process. It, it, it starts off with uh, early research stages. We were just barely getting information out of the brain for the first time. Can we actually detect spikes from neurons? Can we actually interpret them to make them in any way meaningful? And then it has to build up an entire system on top of that yeah. to the point where you have the safe surgical procedure, 
have the data acquisition systems and the machine learning to actually make meaningful interpretations and characterizations of the neural signals mm -hmm. uh, up to where you actually connect that to the application, such as how do you take those neural signals and bring them into controlling a robotic prosthetic or into uh, generating the sense of sensation and touch back into the brain so you can get tactile uh, feedback from using a robotic prosthetic, for example. So there's many different aspects of, of brain-computer interfaces that have been developed over a really long time. I'm not sure that I could point to one single uh, trajectory or arc or beginning of it all. I, I think that the development of the Utah Array, yeah. uh, which was developed roughly 20 years ago, was one of the major steps forward. And I think the reason was a combination of just brilliance in, in, in material science and a little bit of luck. Uh, the, the body has a foreign body response. The brain is very good at figuring out that something shouldn't be in the brain and isn't part of the brain. And uh, finding an electrode that can have the resolution to actually pick up neuron level firings and to uh, have any kind of longevity and persistence in the brain has been one of the real challenges. And the Utah array with the right combination of materials and how we make it gives us that level of high resolution as well as longevity where we've had more than eight years in human patients and still going. And over 30,000 days of, of patient data that we've been developing and, and, and working on to help refine these products and improve the outcomes that we're working with. Mm -hmm. uh, so the development of the Utah Array was a very big step forward because it was the first time we had something that proved it could be used in human for any long duration of time. And so that was probably one of the big mile markers that I can think of, think of in brain computer interface development. But it's such a vast and, and wide field that I, I think you could point to a lot of other uh, innovations in the same space that have also contributed to where we are today. Yeah, yeah, I read that's one of the sort of the big milestones um, in in your development. Um, so, so how many BCI pioneers do you have? Incidentally, uh, I saw a video where the CEO Marcus um, Gerhard talked about the patients being pioneers, um, using that terminology. Uh, so, my listeners um, know what why I said pioneers as opposed to patients. Um, okay, how many have you got? And the uh, BCI Pioneers is a, is a nonprofit coalition that's been started by several BCI pioneers who are, are individuals who have uh, a brain computer interface or have had a brain computer interface. And, and that has been the Utah Array in all cases. Yeah. I believe there are currently 36 BCI pioneers. Yeah. And I've had the privilege of meeting many of them. In fact, I'm going to see uh, a number of them in a week. Uh, and I'm very much looking forward to that. And I like... I really like the the term pioneers that they came up with, and it's it's very meaningful to me and based on what my personal experience has been, mm -hmm. um, because they were willing to be the first to try out a brain computer interface and to put in the time and the work that's necessary to partner with the researchers, to co-develop, to try and fail until it starts working. And to have just the inspiration and the passion to try to improve the outcomes for those who have really difficult uh, situations, such as uh, spinal cord injuries and uh, tetraplegia. And so I, I just am so inspired when I interact with them to think of, of the difficulty of what the injury has brought them, but the passion and fervor and the direct engagement that they have in the research. They are participants. They are contributing. Uh, they're very much moving the needle forward for the field and for other individuals who are in similar situations. And to me, that is very pioneering. When I see that, I see bravery. I see uh, a, a level of 
of commitment and passion that is truly inspiring. And, and so I, I really like that uh, uh, opportunity to engage with them. And to me, they are pioneers. They are really moving the needle forward mm -hmm. in a research space and helping us to bring something out of the research space into a clinical at-home use. And, mm -hmm. and it's the first people to do that were the BCI pioneers. Yeah. Well, 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 let's dive more deeper into that and perhaps talk about the pioneers. I, I was wondering um, what feedback you're getting from them. So I've looked through your website and I've obviously do a bit of research in leading up to this um, conversation today. And I, I've seen quite a few testimonies and very positive um, feedback. And I just want you to tell my listeners, if you could provide my listeners with a couple examples of case um, studies um, that you could tell us to sort of, to illustrate, you know, the black box successes with, with these, um, your products. Yeah, that's, there's so much myriad, it's so much, and it's so interesting. And it changes over time as our technologies become more advanced. And as we partner with the, the top research institutions yeah. like Johns Hopkins and the University of Pittsburgh and Caltech and the development of the algorithms and technologies that help bring our solution to be more comprehensive and complete. So the feedback has changed over time. Uh, one of my favorite experiences was uh, at one of the top universities in the world in, in, in brain-computer interface research, which is the University of Pittsburgh, I was with, uh, with one of the BCI pioneers, and they were checking in on, hey, how are you doing in the, in the stage of the research? It had been a long yeah. session, maybe four or eight hours, and they were maybe three or four hours into it. And uh, the activity at the time was actually painting and Photoshop, creating art. And I was standing next to the pioneer and, and, and watching him uh, you know, move around the, uh, the mouse cursor, change the color palette, draw, create shapes. And when the researcher checked in and said, you know, hey, how are you doing? Uh, the BCI pioneer almost brushed him off and, and said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I, I feel inspired. And that was a very moving moment for me to, to think that that inspiration was the result of the co-development of a brain-computer interface and that it was actually working. Mm -hmm. And the feedback that tells us that we're going on the right track is when a BCI pioneer says it feels intuitive, that they don't have to think about what they were doing, that it just felt like a regular action in their mind, whether it was controlling a mouse cursor or uh, driving a simulated car mm -hmm. um, or playing Guitar Hero that mm -hmm. they said that they were focused on what the game was challenging them to do, that they were focused on what was I seeing visually on the screen and not how do I think in a way that causes the kind of outcome that I'm looking for. So that's probably one of the most encouraging pieces of feedback we can get mm -hmm. from someone with a brain computer interface is when they say it's intuitive, that it, it just feels like I, I knew how to move the action and I didn't have to think about it. And that's a really important part of a brain-computer interface because if it doesn't allow you to multitask and to meaningfully engage with how you're communicating or affecting the world around you, then it, it's not really accomplishing the goal that we're really going for. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the important pieces of feedback that tells us we're going on the right track. Mm -hmm. um, an interesting point of feedback is when we're working with individuals who uh, have a Utah array that is not only sensing and picking up signals from motor neurons in the brain, but also uh, stimulating the sensory cortex. So we can actually generate sensation in the brain as well in direct response to uh, haptic feedback. 
And one of uh, one of our examples is with a BCI pioneer was shaking uh, Barack Obama's hand on stage using a robotic prosthetic. Mm -hmm. And it looks cool, but for the, the scientists behind this and the people, when you think through what all those steps yeah. had to be for that to work, yeah. it's fascinating because you can't shake a hand without getting tactile feedback. You have to have sense to do it well. And he had that sense. He was getting that tactile feedback. And mm -hmm. what's interesting about the feedback that we're getting from the BCI Pioneer is it's not exactly the normal sensation they would have gotten. So they can tell you after some training and experience, you tapped my left index finger, you uh, pinched my right pinky, uh, mm -hmm. but it's a little bit of an interpretation and the, the language they use to describe the sensation is, is an interesting uh, aspect of, of how we're learning what the senses mean and how they're actually being mm -hmm. interpreted and how to better uh, uh, guide the algorithms to give it a more meaningful and natural feedback. Mm -hmm. I think that's kind of an interesting piece. Um, I think other pieces of feedback and things that we've learned are that brain computer interfaces don't change the fact that people get tired and your mental performance yeah. is uh, very much contingent on how well you slept the night before. And so that's something that's kind of confirmed what I think most of us have an intuition on, which is that uh, our ability to, to focus, to think, and to, to uh, multitask could really depend on how tired you are that day and how much sleep you got. Oh, so, so nothing's changed there. I, I think what I like, what, what I'm getting from this, it, it it doesn't feel as if it's what you guys are doing, it's done to them, as in the patients, the pioneers. That's probably why you're not calling them patients, you're calling them pioneers. And it feels like a, a two-way street, both are learning from each other in, in that sort of sense. So I, I, want, I want to ask, and I find it quite interesting in, in, the, in terms of the feedback that um, you've received from the pioneers that has led you to, or to the announcement of, or a modification of a product, if at all. Could you give us an example of that? Yeah, I'm gonna take me a moment to think about that because the first thing that comes to mind when I think of what is the most common feedback I get from any of our BCI pioneers, in fact, every single one of them that I have met, mm -hmm. is keep going, move faster, bring this into uh, the general population of those who need it. Yeah. Uh, so the feedback there is, is that does really impart a sense of urgency is to just keep moving the industry forward. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they are major contributors to that process. And so that does have a great influence in the development of the product. Um, now, we are actively working on our Move Again uh, system, which is an at-home device for people who have uh, say spinal cord injuries or ALS, yep. which allows them to control mouse cursors on a screen and, and have other mechanisms for communication. And uh, these are things we've demonstrated over several years, and we're really at the point where it's mature enough uh, to, to be ready for the, the broader population of those who could use it. Uh, and so, so we're so the, so sorry, co-developing. Sorry, Jeff. Um, so the Move Again, the Move Again BCI, it, is it is not commercialized yet? Is that what you're saying? We're in the process of bringing it through commercialization over the next year. Okay, okay. And so how has it been with the FDA? Are you working closely with them on this? Yes, we work very closely with the FDA. Uh, the, the, the major designation for us is called a breakthrough designation. So we have uh, a special FDA designation that indicates that we have particularly forward-looking 
and leapfrogging technology yeah. that gives us a special interaction with the FDA. So we meet with them on a monthly basis in the development of brain-computer interfaces because the FDA needs to know how to regulate, yes. how to indicate when a DCI would be appropriate. And so we meet with them on a very regular basis and get a lot of feedback from them. And it's been very helpful because the, the role of the regulator is absolutely necessary. And we have to partner with them to understand uh, what their experience has been and where they see the important milestones that we need to hit in the process of moving towards a mm. clinical device. Now, we have the benefit of having uh, over 30,000 patient days and being the most predominantly used chronically implanted brain-computer interface. Over 90% of all human brain-computer interfaces that are chronically implanted have been a Utah array from BlackRock. Mm -hmm. And so because we have the unique position of that history and experience, uh, it, it, it brings us a lot of important information that we can bring to the FDA who are looking at the broader category of brain-computer interfaces. So it's it's a strong partnership, and I think it's been uh, uh, something where that, that breakthrough designation and mm -hmm. frequent engagement with them helps us in the product development process because it's just part of, of what has to happen to bring a medical device safely to the market. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I'm wondering, because the technology is so new and advancing so quickly, is there an element of the FDA playing catch-up, so to speak? Well, that's a great question. I think that in general, government and regulators uh, have to think on a very long-term time scale. And so what I say that is playing catch-up, I, I wouldn't say that. I think that, again, they've engaged with us on breakthrough designation. We work with them in research capacities. We have uh, a lot of applications where the you know, FDA has uh, been involved with uh, IDEs and, and IRB types of uh, research applications. So they're very engaged on the forward pieces of the technology, but they have to make decisions that are going to be good from a long-term basis. And there, you know, from, from a technologist standpoint, it can be frustrating because you, you want your technology that you know works to go faster, but it does take time for the right indications for use to be determined. It takes time for the reimbursement strategies to be figured out and how it will be paid for. Uh, and, and those are things that are also just the practical nature of bringing a product to market, which has you know a, a complex medical industry around it. And so I wouldn't say that they're that they're uh, behind. I, I certainly wish that we could have our technology and patients' uh, 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 hands in use today. Um, but I also feel like they've they've been rather forward looking about it, and uh, and and I think that they're actually making the right steps to get it to to happen. And we're confident that we'll be in in the uh, uh, in the commercial space within the next year. But if because uh, you've just mentioned that, it's just it's, this question just literally comes to my mind. But if they're looking sort of at the long term goals, the long-term pro or the, the process is such that they're looking at long-term, whereas your developments are quite quick and swift. There's, is, is there a match here or does something have to change in terms of how things are done in order to get things out in, in the commercial space um, at a, far, a faster pace? I feel like it's a necessary friction. Uh, I feel like the, the pace of innovation is something that we clearly feel the desire and, and have because of the urgency we get when we engage with the patients who keep yeah. telling us, go faster. Uh, but yeah. we still have to do so safely. We have to do so in a way that's going to have long-term administrative support. So I, I think it's a necessary friction. Uh, the FDA also listens to us. Like we engage with them and we tell them what we're learning because we have the data, we have the experience, mm -hmm. 
the researchers and the patients and the clinicians who are moving the field forward. And the folks at the FDA who are working on this have expertise in this area. And so they're engaging with us in, a, in an almost collegial sense, while also understanding that their role is, is to make sure that we don't go too fast, that we do this in a safe way, and we do this in a way that we have confidence will not just come to market once, but come to market in a meaningful way that actually changes the direction of people's lives and can be built on uh, by ourselves and by those who follow in our footsteps. So I feel it's a necessary friction, and I think that, that they've been listening to our feedback in the process, and that's felt uh, very collaborative. Well, that's good. As, as long as it's collaborative, and um, I think that's that's the key here, uh, and and moving forward in the right direction. And um, let, let's move on from there. Um, I I'm sure this question has been asked a few times before, but please indulge me a little. Um, how do you differentiate yourself from you know Neuralink? Well, I mean, there's it, it's it's hard to say exactly because Neuralink is not in human patients. Uh, in fact, just yesterday, I'm sure that you saw that. Uh, uh, was announced that Neuralink's uh, first uh, approach to the FDA to go to uh, in human trials uh, mm -hmm. had been declined. And, you know, my heart goes out to them uh, because this is a long path. It took BlackRock a long time to have a chronic electrode that was safe for inhuman use. It mm -hmm. took BlackRock a lot of time to have over 36 patients who have worked with us in the co-development of, of the project. It took time to know uh, how does our device perform over eight years in a single patient? Uh, and, and what did we learn from those 30,000 patient days? And so that, that, that the hurdles that we had to go through to get to where we are today are significant. And, uh, you know, and Neuralink isn't there yet. I'm sure they will. Uh, but it, and, and, and I encourage the space in general uh, to, to continue to go after these innovations and, and different and myriad approaches that may work for different types of applications. But the biggest differentiator between BlackRock and Neuralink is that BlackRock is in human patients uh, and we are generating data and the solutions are actually working. The full system is working, that our BCI pioneers are creating artwork, that they are uh, driving simulated cars, that they are communicating more effectively, that they're on Reddit, that they're on uh, playing games on their home computers. Uh, so these are actual demonstrations that are working and it's it really changes the pace of innovation when you are finally getting to the points of seeing an end-to-end -end integrated system working. Mm -hmm. The electrode strategy is also quite different between us and Neuralink. Our electrode is, uh, is much higher density in the resolution of data that we get. And that allows us to have much more refined movement. And I'll give you an example of this. Uh, uh, just last year, a paper was published in Nature that was uh, uh, led by researchers and medical experts at uh, Stanford University. And they've worked with uh, spinal cord injury patients as well as a patient with uh, ALS who had lost the ability to effectively communicate. Uh -huh. And using a Utah array, uh, and a combination of our hardware software and their algorithms and research, uh, they're able to actually follow the intent to move your fingers mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and think about handwriting mm -hmm. and translate that directly to text on the screen. So literally thought to text by just thinking about handwriting. Mm -hmm. And again, it has that intuitive piece that I think tells you it's going in the right direction. That level of precision of being able to follow your intent to move your fingertips mm -hmm. and have so much resolution in that data that you can translate that at 150 characters per minute mm -hmm. on the screen, which is about as fast as you can type on your phone 
And that is a, a kind of resolution that is really distinct to the Utah array and the high channel count in patients we have between four and 600 channels of data coming in. Uh, but at that high level of density and resolution and the high bandwidth that we get out of that is really distinct to the Utah array. And will be very different from the types of electrodes that Neuralink is developing. Right, okay, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, I've had a few conversations now with guests in this series and uh, a couple talked about the ecosystem, the, the neurotech ecosystem lacking somewhat and not on par with, say, the fintech ecosystems. Um, I think one was from a, it was not really a startup, it's more a scale-up now because they are now considered unicorns. And the other was from a, a neuro, a, a neuroscientist. So I'm asking you, Jeff, what is, what's the ecosystem today and how does it differ from whence BlackRock Neurotech started? Well, the ecosystem today in a lot of ways has been greatly influenced by BlackRock, again, being one of the industry leaders and having the largest number by far of chronically implanted uh, devices in human. Mm -hmm. A lot of the ecosystem has been developed by BlackRock. So mm -hmm. it doesn't just, I mean, it starts with the electrode uh, and that is a lot of our secret sauce, but there are so many different pieces of technology that sit on top of that before you have a patient who's able to control a robotic arm uh, with their thoughts. And so the ecosystem includes data acquisition systems, machine learning algorithms, and the machine learning algorithms that we are using are very recent advances in machine learning. Even the, the, the concepts uh, that we're incorporating into our machine learning are recently discovered in many ways. So that part's moving very fast and machine learning gives us a strong platform for that. The uh, the researchers who are developing the software around these systems are also taking the same kind of data uh, that comes from our, our array and our data acquisition systems. So a lot of the software development is also using the same kind of neural data uh, that comes from the Utah array. So we're, we're quite central to that ecosystem. Now, I think where there's a lot of room for growth in the ecosystem is in the general area of sensor fusion. Uh, <clears throat> can you get other information from the world, whether it's from an EEG, whether it's from a movement of your muscles or eye trackers, uh, and combine that to get even higher resolution, higher data that allows you to do more and do so again in that intuitive way. And there I would agree that there is a, a lack of ecosystem. And I think that that is largely just because there's nothing in the patient population that allows it to be built on. But following a careful platform strategy and in a sense, creating an, an app kind of framework for other developers from an ecosystem to build on top of the data acquisition, the electrode, the neural signal processing. If you can provide that and then connect that to a broader software development ecosystem, that's mm -hmm. going to allow for a much broader range of applications to be developed relatively quickly. And I think that's going to follow fairly soon after we have clinical devices for at-home use. So it, it, soon, I get the sense soon, this is going to exponentially sort itself out. Okay. Um, I, I believe so. Um, let's look to the future now um, with these final set of questions. Um, what are the plans for BlackRock Neurotech uh, and what timescales are we talking about here? So we are working right now on the development of an at-home use device, brain-computer interface called Move Again. Uh, which helps people who have spinal cord injuries, ALS, or, or similar types of 
loss of motion and ability to control bodies, uh, to be able to control computer screens, to be able to control robotic prosthetics and other devices, to be able to interact meaningfully and physically with the world around them. And that's a device that we expect to have on the market within the next year. Uh, we've also recently announced a, an exciting technology called Neuralakes, yes. a fundamentally different type of brain electrode with up to 10,000 or more channels that allow for high precision interaction and uh, interpreting data from the brain. It's a thin film device that's thinner than an eyelash that uh, will have uh, the kind of channel density and data uh, abilities that have never been uh, ever available. And it's a combination of advanced manufacturing technologies, advanced material science, and building on top of our understanding of uh, brain-computer interfaces that we've had. And that we expect to have in the research space in the next year. That's quite exciting because, I, yes, I've read about that. And please, if you could get um, one of your team members to forward a link so we can put it in your show notes so the listeners can click on that and, and read further about the um, Neuralace. Is that okay? Yes. Excellent. Okay. Um, yeah, we'll do just that. In fact, I actually have a link. I'll just send it to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's even better. And I'll put it in the, the show notes. That's great. Okay. Um, right. Um we know brain-computer interface is sort of centred on medical application and use, and we've talked quite a bit about that. I'd like to know your thoughts on, on consumer application and where do you see this heading in the near or far future? Well, you know, it's exciting, and it it starts to really evoke the imagination and in creative ways. Uh, it's honestly not something that I think about a lot. I don't think it's something that that most of the people I'm working with at BlackRock are thinking about a lot. There's obviously a huge potential there, but it's going to take time before we're really talking about enhancement and advancement and kind of consumer applications. The bridge to get there for those who uh, have neurological disorders and have lost capabilities where you can really change quality of life in a huge way. And those are the people who are, are really the candidates for the next development mm -hmm. and next phases of this technology. And, and that's where where we would be working with, you know, the FDA and the regulators, where there's a clear indication for use uh, and a clear need. Uh, getting into the enhancement is, is kind of fun to think about. It's very science techy. I think it's going to be a while before we're really looking at brain-computer interfaces that uh, would have consumer applications. And, and, and while I think it's exciting to think about, it's, it's not at all what we are focused on. We're very much focused on a patient population who have yeah. neurological disorders or disabilities. And I think that that's going to be in the near term where BCIs are going to be successful. So the, the, the talk about enhancement for consumer applications is fun and interesting. I'm confident that, uh, that we will be very central to that conversation when we get to uh, a point where there's a broader opportunity to expand those capabilities. But right now, we're really focused on medical applications. Oh, well, that's understandable. That's not the priority at the moment, but it is exciting to talk about some of the stuff in that space as well. But I do understand um, BlackRock's um, priority. And, and finally, you mentioned the word excited as opposed to concern, which is great. So how excited or even concerned are you about all of this going forward? I could not be more excited. The, the, the technology works. And having been side by side with a BCI pioneer and using this technology to feel inspired, to create art, to restore function, 
to eat a bar of chocolate again for the first time by controlling a robotic prosthetic or to have the opportunity of driving a car again. These are amazing steps forward and it's working and it's working now. And then the next steps are just on the precipice and it builds on that technology platform, Utah Array, Neural Signal Processing, and machine learning with the software application ecosystem to where we're able to work on recovering hearing loss by directly stimulating the auditory nerve. And with something like Neuralace, we're at the high density channel count where we can start to talk about visual prostheses and actually restoring vision for those who have lost it. These are all on development processes right now. They are all currently being worked on and we're expanding out our capabilities and we're expanding the rate at which we're doing this and it's working and it is so promising. And I cannot wait to see what the next generation of brain computer interfaces are going to bring for recovering uh, uh, mobility, hearing and vision. Jeff Jensen, a great contribution today on Heads Talk. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you, Elaine. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executives, C-suite leaders, and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.